I hate to argue with you, Woody. <clears throat> you are uh, bragging about your music minister's tie. I'm wearing my youth pastor tie. <laughs> well, uh, Merry Christmas. And in Canada, happy Boxing Day. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm not quite sure entirely what Boxing Day is, but it is Boxing Day today in Canada and the UK and probably Australia and a couple other places. But uh, Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, last, uh, well, I, I guess it was a, a few days ago, my family and I decided to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas, and that was going to be a new tradition I, that I'd, I'd like to start. Normally, and we did this this year, we've done this past several years, we read, uh, starting December 1st, we read a little bit from the Advent book. Uh, every day. And so we'll read day one on December 1st. And then on December 2nd, we read day one or day two, etc. And my kids are uh, either know how to read or learning to read. They're kind of in that range. And so it's a family thing that, that we do together. And uh, we really enjoy that. But this year we wanted to, to do something a little bit different. And it's a, a movie that I loved as a kid. And uh, my kids had never seen it, Charlie Brown Christmas. And so I wanted to read to you just a couple of quotes uh, from that movie. It's, it's pretty quotable, actually. So... Um, First of all, like in, in the opening scene right there where Charlie Brown and Linus are walking along and, and they're going to, the, to the, the pond to go skating, and Charlie Brown is typical Charlie Brown. He's kind of down, and he's walking along, and he talks. they stop at a wall there, and he says, um, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Linus says to him, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. <laughs> so that was great. And then uh, in the middle of the movie there, when he's gone out and he's picked this spindly tree, it must be a pinion pine or something, I don't know, but it's this <laughs> spindly little tree that he picks, and, and it's for this pageant that they're doing, and he, he uh, brings it, and his, his friends laugh at him and, and call him names, and they just give him a hard time, they chew him out about it. And so he's pretty bummed about it, and he says, I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I just really don't know what Christmas is all about. Then he throws his head back and he shouts in desperation, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Good grief, Charlie Brown. I thought you'd never ask. So that's why we're here this morning. We're going to be uh, reading in John chapter 1. And you have that in your bulletin, actually. If you pull your, your sheet out there, it's actually printed out there for you. And I want to read that to you. John chapter 1, we're going to read verses 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's pray. Lord, what a great truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Help us to understand and to see what you're talking about here. Help us to apply it to our lives. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's dig right in here. Woody asked me to, you know, keep it shortish, 20 or 30 minutes, so I will do my very best to keep it short to 20 or 30 minutes. So, uh, of course, I picked a, a nice, light, easy passage that, that would be... Uh, you know, good for the day after Christmas and, and to tie together the, uh, what goes on at Christmas and then our mission trip. And so I naturally went to one of the most theologically difficult passages or diverse passages or deep passages in the entire New Testament to do that. So uh, um, it's going to be an effort to keep it to 20 minutes. We'll see what happens. But let's, let's dig right in there. Verse 14, the word became flesh. So any of you who've read the book of John and it's, you know, verse one starts out there, right? Within the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 3 says that, um, well, let's read there, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him, that is the Word, was not anything made that was made. So this same Word, it's this, this kind of concept. It's, it's, uh, it's God himself, but it's kind of interesting things that are said about him. But it says here, the Word which is spirit, became flesh. He became flesh. And that's what we've been celebrating at Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. The Word, God himself, who's spirit and invisible and the creator of us all, becomes flesh like us, took on human nature. You could touch him, you could see him, you could talk to him. He took on flesh, and that's a huge deal. And Woody reminded us on Christmas Eve that the Christmas story isn't just something that we put over here in the corner and we bring out for, uh, you know, three weeks a year. When I pull out the Advent book, I pull out the Christmas story, and that's the only time I care about it. That's not what it is. It's central to the entire fabric of Scripture, the entire story that's being told. It is very central and key. It's not just a holiday that, that we celebrate in December, and in Russia they celebrate in January. The Christmas story, the story of the baby Jesus being born in Bethlehem to the virgin mother is actually very central crux of the entire Bible. So, Charlie Brown, here's what Christmas is all about. The Son became flesh so God would become known. I only have two main points. The first one is the first half, the first part of verse 14. The Son, the Word, became flesh. That's point one. <laughs> the rest of it's point two. Okay? The Son became flesh so God would become known. So, what do I mean by this? Well, let's think about it. Before Christ, God's presence was located where? It was located in the tabernacle. And then later on, it was located in the temple. 
And God said in Exodus 25, we don't have to turn there, it's just one verse. Exodus 25 and verse 8, God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So he told them, build this tent and that's where I'll live in your midst. And then later on, they built a temple for the same purpose. So the tabernacle was the only place where God's people could meet with him. That was where his presence was located. But continue on there in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And pause right there for a second. Dwelt among us. That word dwelt there doesn't just mean that he lived. It means that he tabernacled among us. And if you think about that Exodus passage that I just read to you, where God's presence is located in the tabernacle, here build a tabernacle and that's where I'll live in your midst. Then you get to the New Testament and it says here, the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us as one of us. All right. He lives here with us. His presence is now located in the person of Christ. If people wanted to meet with God or to be with God in the Old Testament, they would go to the temple or they'd go to the tabernacle. They'd make their sacrifices and that's, that's where they could meet with God. And it's entirely different in the New Testament. Now God's presence is located in the person of Christ. So God's presence is in Jesus. Now we'll continue on a little bit. Before Christ... God said, man shall not see me and live. Do you remember the story back in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses is up on the mountain with God and he begs God, let me see your glory. You remember that? Let's, let's open there to, to chapter 33 of Exodus. Genesis, Exodus, chapter 33. And I'll be at the end of the chapter here. I'm going to read verses 18 all the way through the end of the chapter. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So Moses, who was a pretty important figure in Old Testament history, right? You know, wrote the first five books of the Bible, uh, talked to God uh, like a friend. He gives us the Ten Commandments. He gives us the law. He's a good friend of God. And even Moses doesn't get to see his glory except catching a glimpse. I'm going to cover you up, and when I pass by, then I'll let you have a glimpse of my back. But you can't, you can't see the fullness of my glory or you'll die. And so that's Moses himself. But in Christ... The glory of God is revealed to those who believe, revealed openly in Christ himself and in what he's done. Continue on to verse 14 there, back, back in John chapter 1. The word became flesh, Christmas, he dwelt among us. His presence is located among us. He's 
tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. We've seen his glory. The next chapter in John, right after he performs his first sign, uh, John comments on it. It's, it's there in verse 11. He, he comments on it, and he says this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. That's when he turned the water into wine. And he manifested his glory in that sign. And his disciples believed in him. So the glory of God is now visible. It's now available. It's now seen in Christ himself to those who believe. And it wasn't like a shining light or like one of those halos that you see in, a, in an old uh, religious painting or whatever to indicate who the disciples were, who, the, who Jesus was or whatever in the painting they would put a halo around. It wasn't that. that that's not the glory of God that's being shown. The glory of God that's being shown here is God's own character being seen in Jesus' own character and in the acts that he does, the things he says, what he does on this earth and who he is. So we see God's glory in Jesus. So his, the presence of God is located in Jesus. The glory of God is located in Jesus. It says here, before, uh, back, back in chapter 1 of John, before Christ came, the law was given through Moses. This is verse 17. The law was given through Moses. And the Old Testament law, I think sometimes we have a little bit of a skewed, a skewed picture of it. If you think about it, the Old Testament law was a great thing given to them. The people of Israel were very blessed that they had been given the law. This is unique, special revelation of who God is and what he expects, and how we can relate to him. It's been given in the law. So that's a, that's a unique thing. It's a privilege. It's a blessing. It's a grace. And that, that's been given. That's a huge grace that was given to the people of Israel. I think we sometimes look back on it now and we think, oh, law. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's bad stuff. That's, that's just bad stuff. But Paul actually says the law is good. The law is holy. The law is useful. So it was a grace that was given to the people to show them who he was, at least in legal form, who, who God is and what he expects and how we can relate to him. So I think we can all admit that if that's all we had access to, we would be really happy with that, right? To know who God is revealed in the law. So the law was good and holy. The nation of Israel was very blessed that God had given them the law. And this is the first grace that's mentioned here. The problem was that the people couldn't keep the law. The law didn't have the power to make the people obedient. And that, that was the problem that was called, that, that was caused. It was weak as it was through the flesh, as Paul says in Romans. But in Christ, it says here in uh, the end of verse 14 and here again in verse 16, Christ came, he was full of grace and truth. In verse 16, and from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. And that word upon is a little tricky, actually. It's it, it, it can be translated all kinds of different ways. It's, it's just a preposition, and we use them differently in, in English too. But what it probably means here is not grace after grace or grace stacked up on top of another grace, but it probably means more like a new grace given instead of the old grace that was given. So it's almost in, instead of would be a good word, grace instead of grace, okay? So this Old Testament grace that was given was the law, and now we have a new grace that's given that supersedes that law. And that grace is in Christ. 
So looking back at our Old Testament story again of Moses on the mountain, the day after he had asked to see God's glory in chapter 33 we just read about, he's again on the mountain talking to God. Let's open up real quickly to uh, Exodus 34. Flip right back to where you were. Exodus 34, and I want to read just, just verse 6. Just verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Exodus 34 and verse 6. And that those last words that are found there, uh, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, those occur again and again in the Old Testament. It's a pretty common idea that you have. It talks about relational fidelity and uh, mutual care and grace and a love that never ends, it never stops, it never wavers. It's that sort of relationship. And, and it's, it's used again and again in the Old Testament, sometimes between men in relationship between people, but most often and most perfectly it's used in about God himself. It's used to describe him. That's his kind of love. Steadfast mercy. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Now what's interesting is that those those Hebrew words, steadfast love and faithfulness, can also be tr- translated as grace and truth. Grace and truth is exactly what we're talking about here in this New Testament passage. So our passage says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He has those qualities to the nth degree, to the, to the ultimate. They, they're not just, you know, we, we see pictures of it in people's relationships with one another, faithfulness, the way they're faithful to one another. But it's, it's personified to the nth degree, perfected in Christ himself. The love of Christ is faithful, gracious, unfailing, and unswerving. And as Paul says in, at the end of Romans chapter 8 there, he says, can anyone separate us from the love of God? And what's his answer? No, not anyone or anything that's on this earth or that's in heaven above can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this second grace that we've been given, which is comes on Christmas Day in the life of Christ, the second grace has fulfilled and superseded the law that came through Moses. So this grace, God's grace, is located in Jesus. And he, he concludes there, no one has ever seen God. Well, of course, God is spirit, right? God is spirit and he's invisible. You can't see him. And, and Paul says in Colossians that he, Christ, is the image, the visible representation of the invisible God. So that's a real conundrum there. He's the, he's the visible, invisible God. And that's who Christ is. He's God who's eternal beyond us, invisible, become flesh like us. And, we, and we've seen him. We can see him. And so his image rests in Christ also. The image of God is in Christ also. So how does this relate to Christmas and our mission trip and all that kind of stuff? I know you're curious. <laughs> Before Jesus was born, people could only get a glimpse of who God was. They, they, they could see and get ideas from different things that happened in Scripture, from the tabernacle that gave them that gave them ideas of who God was in some certain uh, limited contact uh, with His presence, they had ideas of what His glory was. There were visions, and, and Moses, you know, walking by and you know, with his head in the 
cleft of the rock and he could see God's back and all that kind of stuff. They had ideas and there were glimpses, but it was never full. It was never complete. It was never full. And so what I want to finish with is what John finishes here at the end of verse 18 when he says, This one and only Son, this unique Son of God, has made Him known. In the Old Testament, they could only know bits and pieces. Bits and pieces. But Jesus has made Him known. He's communicated fully to us. That, that word made known is dear to me because it, it's, ex, it's the word exegesis. And that's what I studied in school. And uh, Jesus has exegeted God. He, he, he has communicated fully who God is. So that the, the mystery, the, the unknown, the unknowable has, been, has, has become known so that we can know him. And so that's, that's what I want to leave us with here. And that's what has struck me about this whole thing is that Jesus made God known. And you know, God was made known to me in a very unique way in March of 1992, first time I ever heard it. He was made known to me by an, a 17-year-old kid who was nervous to share his faith, a brand new believer, and he opened his mouth and he shared his faith. And that was the beginning of how God was made known to me. And I, so I think about us, the people in this room, and there are various people here, and I wonder, some of us believe this. Some of us believe that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. We believe in that and we follow him. And so what do we do with that knowledge? He has been made known to us. We've been given this gift that Jan talked about. We've been given a gift. He's been made known to us. And what do we do with it? What do we do with it? If I'm honest, I look around the room, I see you and I see my own heart. If I'm honest, most of the time I just sit on it, keep it under my hat, look out my office window at the people in, across the street in the park who are uh, without hope and without God, and I sit on it. And probably I'm not the only one in the room who just keeps it to himself. Some of us are afraid. We don't want to share because we might feel uncomfortable or something frightening and scary and terrible like that, feeling awkward. Don't want to feel awkward. So we sit on it. So God has very graciously made himself known to us in the person of Christ. And is it going to stop here? And I think, I think some of us, a lot of us maybe, need to repent of those selfish and fearful attitudes of that heart attitude. And we need to start talking to people and just open up and reveal, exegete, make known who God is to people. It's not hard. I'll tell you, the guy who shared with me, he didn't have it down for sure. But he opened his mouth and God used what he said. And I came to know him. He made God known to me. And this is a major reason, reason that our mission trip is our group is going back east and we take off tomorrow morning. This is a major reason is because we realize in our own self that we, uh, we sit on it a lot. We keep it under our hat a lot and we want to push ourselves and we want to make God known with our words. We're going to open our mouths and share with anyone who will listen. We're going to make God known with our words. We're going to share the gospel, the power of God for salvation to all who believe. We're going to share that with anyone who will listen. 
And we're also going to make God known with our hands by showing the love of God to people by providing coats in December and January in New York City, by providing warm meals to, to people who don't have them. So show, showing God's love, demonstrating for them, exegeting for them, making God known to them by, by our words and by our love. And that's, that's what our, our desire is to do. And so as we go, you have that little red sheet of paper. Pull that out, stick that on your fridge, or use that as your bookmark in your Bible and pray for us as we go. Because we're going out of our comfort zone and we're going to feel awkward and we're going to feel stretched and we're going to feel afraid to open our mouths and share sometimes. But pray for us. But you can do the exact same things here. We can do the exact same things here. We're, we're taking some, some of the youth back east and we're hoping to see God do a great work and, and light a fire in our midst. But it's no different than what can be done here. You work someplace, you live someplace, you have neighbors. There are people near you who don't know who God is. They might catch glimpses here and there, but you can make him known. And some others in this room need to get to know this Jesus whose birth we just celebrated. They hear about him, um, you know, see TV shows, maybe see him, you know, there'll be something about Jesus in time or Newsweek or something like that, but they don't know him. You don't know him. There are some who don't. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that there is something in your heart blocking you from knowing God. The problem is that, that you have sin in your life, not just things that you've done, but your heart attitude, which is rebellion against God. You have that in your heart. And God is a holy God, and you can't come into his presence the way you are with sin like that. You can't do it. So you're blocked. And we've been focusing here on the, the beginning. It's, you know, it's Christmas. We have a Christmas tree and different things that we have. We've been focusing on the beginning of Jesus' life, when he was born, when he came as a little bitty baby. And that's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. But the, look at the end of his life on this earth. How does it end? It ends with him on the cross. It ends with him paying the penalty for your sins. That penalty that blocks you, that sin that blocks you from God's presence, that makes it so you can't be with him. He took that on himself on the cross and he paid that penalty that you, by all rights, should have paid, and I should have paid. And he bore our iniquities in his own body. So if you will turn to him, and if you will accept that sacrifice that he's made on your behalf, and if you will trust in him as Savior, then you can know God. You can have peace with God. You can have eternal life. So that's something that you can do right now where you're sitting. I did it. I, I just exactly what I said there. It was on a baseball field surrounded by other guys. They didn't know I was praying. You can receive Christ anywhere. You can do it right now or come up and talk to me after I'm done. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. Let's pray. Father, the uh, truth of God himself becoming flesh and living like us is hard to comprehend and it's uh, hard to get our minds around. 
but Christmas is a great time and we celebrate it as families. We love it because it is such a great and central truth. It's central to the Christian life. It's central to who we are. It's central to all of history and all of redemptive history. Father, we want to uh, keep remembering that, not just during Christmas or during the Advent season. Lord, we want to remember this daily, that God became flesh so that God could become known. Father, I pray that we would all search our hearts for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you. It's as simple as what Mrs. Mayberry talked about with her ABC cards. And Lord, for those who do know you, I pray that we would repent, Lord, that we would begin to make you known to those around us. Help us to open our arms and to open our mouths, Lord. Father, as our group goes back east and uh, we leave tomorrow, I pray that you would bless us and take care of us and provide great opportunities for us. Pray that you would go before us and open up hearts already, that we would be able to talk to people and they would have everything removed already to hear the gospel and to trust you. And for those who are here, I pray that they would go along with us as warriors in spirit, that they would remember us, that they would pray for us, that they would look to see what you're going to do. Lord, most of all, we thank you that you sent Jesus to make you known to us. What an awesome, awesome gift that is for Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One question. Uh, we are leaving tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., and I need someone whose name is already on the insurance for the church to drive the van. Uh, someone to drive up with us. We leave at 9 o'clock. We'll meet here at the church at 9 o'clock and then to drive the van back. So uh, 